Hey, it's July 2nd, 2017, and this is the Supreme Leap Forward. And this is Steven here all on my own this week because we have a a different sort of episode on offer. Uh, What you're going to hear next is a a talk I did for the San Antonio chapter of the DSA, where I talked about sanctuary cities, uh, crimigration, which is criminal law at the intersection of immigration law, and uh, and movement lawyering. Uh, It was a ton of fun, and I think you'll enjoy giving it a listen. I wanted to also drop in here to let you know that we just put up a Patreon, which of course is is the last thing anyone wants to hear from uh, their friendly left-wing content creators. But we figured that everyone is already so tapped into the Patreon ecosystem that perhaps kicking one more leftist podcast a couple bucks a month won't be asking too, too much of y'all. So, uh, I mean, putting the show together is a ton of fun, but also a lot more work than, than any of us realized when I suggested we put it together. So, uh, so yeah, so check us out on Patreon at Supreme Leap Forward. Uh, our Patreon's ultra bare bones right now as we're still working out what rewards and goals we should have, but rest assured that that stuff will be figured out soon. In the meantime, please enjoy the rest of the show. Stephen Gilmore. I'm a criminal defense attorney here in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I represent indigent defendants in state, federal, and juvenile court. Uh, I also do retain cases if anybody feels so inclined, uh, but the bulk of my work comes uh, representing indigent defendants. Um, so a, a little bit about me. So I, I've been in and around Marxism and Marxist organizing since around 2004. I was a non-participatory member in the YDS years and years ago. Uh, in 2004, uh, there was not a chapter in uh, Corpus Christi where I lived, so I just paid dues and got their little uh, their little their uh, paper magazine where they told me to vote for John Kerry, uh, and so that was cool. Uh, I got that, and then uh, and then I joined the ISO around 2008 again, non-participatory because there was no branch here. I tried to start a branch and. That's difficult because the ISO kind of asks a lot of its members. Uh, and so uh, then I, I rejoined the DSA uh, when uh, y'all got your big membership surge and under the sort of hopes and impression that this would be sort of like a, uh, a big tent organization for all the various uh, Marxist and leftist groupuscules uh, to kind of come together, and anarchists and anti-fascists. So everybody to just on the left kind of come together under a uh, common banner. Uh, so that's me. So in addition to lawyering and, and, and organizing that I, I guess I don't really do anymore but used to, uh, I also host a podcast called The Supreme Leap Forward. I'm one of three co-hosts. And uh, we are a, uh, a Marxist leftist podcast uh, geared towards um, uh, analyzing and uh, cr- offering a critique of, uh, of the Constitution and the Supreme Court, but, but more or less law in general. And so one of the things that we're going to talk about today is uh, sanctuary cities, uh, and immigration stuff. I don't practice immigration law. Uh, every criminal defense attorney is required to know a certain amount of criminal defense law, or a certain amount of immigration law, and I'll kind of explain why. Uh, but I don't practice immigration law. So if you want like sort of a deep dive on sanctuary cities and immigration-related issues, check out episode seven of our podcast. Uh, we had Miley on, who uh, they are actually a, a former resident of San Antonio. Now they're going to uh, school, law school up in Cooney. 
check out that episode. Great discussion on this topic. Uh, if you're really interested in just straight up Marxism and law, check out episodes nine and ten uh, and, and talk to me. There's stuff published. I can you know always point you in the right direction uh, to more about that. But uh, so yeah, specifically on topic today. So sanctuary cities. What the hell is that? Um, it's sort of hard to explain. Sanctuary cities don't really have like a set definition. Uh, in reality, they don't really exist in the United States. Uh, at least there's no consensus as to what, what they are. But the sort of baseline understanding for what a sanctuary city is, at least in the immigration context, is a city that does not enforce, that does not require its state agents to enforce federal immigration law. So every state has a, uh, its own sort of enforcement arm. Uh, so in, in San Antonio, for instance, we have Bear County Sheriff, we have SAPD, we have the various municipalities that have their own private uh, police corps, Castle Hills, Alamo Heights, they all have their own little law enforcement arms. None of those agencies, and DPS, of course, state troopers, things like that, none of those agencies are required to enforce immigration law. In fact, the federal government cannot tell them to enforce immigration law. If the federal government were to tell SAPD to begin enforcing immigration law or Bear County Sheriff to begin making immigration raids, that would be unconstitutional. They can't force them to do that. And that's sort of the problem that we're running into right now, is uh, Bear County Sheriff, of their own volition, is narking to ICE when they have somebody that has immigration ramifications in their custody. They're letting ICE know, especially if they have an existing immigration detainer and an ICE detainer, they're letting ICE know, hey, this person is, is in our custody, come get them. ICE says, oh, we'll be there in a month or so, and Bear County will hold them, will spend county resources holding a person whose criminal charges may have been resolved, but have an immigration detainer and will not release them, okay? A Salazar, right? Javier Salazar is the current Bear County Sheriff, yes. Uh, and so one of the things that a lot of cities and counties have been saying, particularly Travis County right now and APD, Austin PD, they're saying, we don't want to comply with ICE. We don't want to have to turn people whose criminal cases are resolved. They have no reason to be here. We don't want to have to inform ICE, or if ICE says we're going to come get them, hold them for a couple days, we don't want to have to do that. We're not going to spend county resources, city resources, state resources to aid in the enforcement of federal law. The federal government can't force those state agencies to do it either. There's a string of Supreme Court opinions that prohibit the federal government from being able to do that, okay? What's happening in Bear County is sort of unique. You have a sheriff who is ostensibly Democratic, and you had a mayor who was ostensibly a Democrat, Ivy Taylor. Uh, when pressed on the issue of sanctuary cities in San Antonio, their only response has been, we will enforce existing laws. That's what they say. But the problem is, is that that doesn't really mesh with reality. There is no existing law that says, I have to do what ICE tells me to if I, if I run the jail. There's no existing law. So, so they're lying. They're, they're just lying and they're cowards. And when Ron Nuremberg was running for office, I and other people asked him, hey, are you going to make San Antonio a sanctuary city? Are you going to tell ICE that you're not going to be holding people and spending resources uh, just because they have a detainer and there's no other reason to hold them? And Ron Nuremberg's response is, 
we will enforce existing laws, okay? R R Ron Nuremberg is like a walking platitude. Like, he, 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 he's so devoid of substance. And he voted against the SAPD, uh, uh, the SAPD um, uh, union contract, which was great. But his rationale for voting against it was, uh, it was just not cost effective. He didn't think it was the best cost. So he's absolutely devoid of principle. Uh, hopefully, he, will be, he, he appears to at least uh, be to the left of Ivy Taylor. But I, I don't have any faith in, in, in Ron Nuremberg. Uh, at least in, in respect, at least with respect to the immigrant community. So uh, it's important that we continue to press him on these issues. Now, more specifically geared towards what I do in the criminal context, and, and this is going to be helpful for you if, if anyone in this room may have immigration, uh, 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 sort of questionable immigration status, or has any friends that have uh, questionable immigration status. And, and there's two main things that y'all need to be aware of. One is uh, in the criminal context, things that can make you deportable, and things that can make you inadmissible, okay? If you are a lawful permanent resident, or you are a refugee, or you are here on a work visa, or, or an education visa, or if you are entirely undocumented, things that you do, things that you do criminally could have uh, very serious consequences on your future, okay? Very serious consequences on your immigration status. Uh, if you were a lawful permanent resident, for instance, and you were arrested for shoplifting at Walmart under $25, if you go to municipal court and get put on probation for that, even deferred probation, that will render you inadmissible, okay? You will not be able to apply for immigration status for, for full immigration status under that context, okay? A, a class C petty shoplifting at Walmart will mess up your immigration status, okay? Before, in the olden days, attorneys, criminal defense attorneys didn't have to tell you that. We didn't have to, we didn't have to tell you anything about your immigration consequences. We didn't even have to discuss it with you. Then there was a Supreme Court case called Padilla. And Padilla sort of changed the landscape for criminal defense in the United States. Now, every criminal defense attorney is, under the, is, is obligated to ask you about your, your immigration status before they dispose of your case. We have to ask you. And if you say that you are a lawful permanent resident or some other immigration status that is short of full citizenship, we have to advise you of all of the consequences of whatever action we're about to take, whether it's trial or a plea, uh, even pretrial diversion, which is normally short of defer, which is normally short of probation, but still not helpful for immigration consequences. Um, so there's there's a couple things that that we need to be aware of. I just talked about theft; those are referred to as crimes of moral turpitude. Okay, uh, theft cases, uh, fa misdemeanor family violence, even in municipal court that results in, in an affirmative finding of family violence, that is a crime of moral turpitude. If you commit a crime of moral turpitude, even a petty one, that can affect your immigration status if you are anything short of full citizen, okay? So there's two things you gotta do if you're ever in that position or any of your friends are ever in that position. They're gonna get a court-appointed attorney unless they're in municipal court. If they're in the county courthouse for a class B or A misdemeanor or any grade of felony, they are entitled to court-appointed counsel. So they gotta do two things. One, immediately tell your attorney, 
hey, I've got him, I'm not a full citizen. I'm, I'm a lawful permanent resident or I'm a green card holder, what, you know, whatever. Whatever, you, whatever they are, they need to tell their attorney immediately. The second thing is they need to ask their attorney to, do, to confirm as soon as possible whether this offense that they are charged with is a crime of moral turpitude, whether this offense will have any immigration ramifications, okay? That's, it's, it's, I cannot stress enough how important it is and how many shitbag attorneys I've seen at the courthouse plea their clients to a theft case when they know they have immigration consequences, okay? You cannot plea to a theft case if you have immigration consequences. You, you just should not do it. You could, if I inform you that you'll get deported and you don't give a shit, then you could, but that would be terrible. So please, if you have any friends, especially friends that are undocumented, let them know, you know never to do this, okay? The biggest thing that we're facing right now in the criminal context and it's important uh, as activists and community organizers to be aware of this because this is where uh, non-lawyers can be involved. ICE agents have been showing up at the courthouse since, since Trump was elected. This has never happened before, at least not in my experience. Uh, I haven't been practicing law very long, but I was a law clerk for 12 years. I've been around the courthouse for a long time, been around criminal cases as, all of my adult life. And to my knowledge, ICE has never on their own, just showed up at the courthouse and started checking dockets for people that have immigration consequences. And so ICE has been taking people into custody as soon as they plea, they'll take them into immigration de detention for misdemeanor cases, okay? This is, this is unprecedented, ICE has never done this before. And our sheriff is not stopping them. Our, our mayor, our city council, no one's stopping ICE from going in our courthouse, our county building, and taking people into custody as they plea, okay? Uh, I, the county sheriff's office could refuse to comply. We don't, they don't have to show ICE their, the courts don't have to show ICE their dockets. The county sheriff doesn't have to let them know which inmates they've brought over. County sheriff doesn't have to tell ICE shit, but they are. They're complying because ICE requests and they comply. And, and, and you know, compliance is one thing, but I, I think that, that we're going a step beyond compliance. I think we're going from compliance to complicitness. And, uh, and that's something that as community organizers and activists, you can actually do. Uh, uh, and not just via the, you know, the almighty ballot box, but via like actual on the ground organizing, uh, either at the, at the sheriff's office or, or wherever. Uh, actual demonstrations to let the community know that, that this is abhorrent and we don't want to stand for it, right? Um, so so that's, that's sort of the big thing that, uh, that I've been involved on, and that was why I was kind of on, on the news recently, because they were uh, asking me questions about, uh, about sanctuary cities and about uh, sort of the new Papers, Please bill that's being passed uh, through the Texas legislature, where uh, local law enforcement officials, when they pull you over, can inquire as to your immigration status, okay? Uh, and we know in practice that when they pull me over, they're not gonna ask me about my immigration status, but when they pull a brown person over, they're going to ask them about their immigration status. So what we're going to have, if this law makes it through both houses, uh, I don't know whether it even has already, I haven't heard anything about it in a while, uh, but assuming it does, uh, it's going to be uh, uh, disparately uh, applied. It's going to be disproportionately applied against, uh, against brown people, okay? And so, and again, that's something that as, as activists and community organizers, we could be agitating against letting the community know that we're not going to tolerate that sort of behavior in, in our community, okay? And so the, the sort of the last thing I really want to talk about is um, 
and I don't necessarily want to classify myself, I'm not like trying to steal valor here, but uh, what it means to be a, a movement lawyer, okay? Um, I'm sort of an armchair movement lawyer, but there are actual movement lawyers that are, that are engaged in the uh, uh, sort of day-to-day -day practice of agitation against, uh, uh, against um, the things that are happening right now, either in our legislature or, uh, or, or via the law enforcement arm of the state, okay? Uh, so remember when uh, all of the attorneys were at the airport uh, and they were helping, they were doing what, what we were calling triage, basically, emergency immigration practice in the airport because people were being denied entry at, at, uh, at, at the intercontinental airports? That's being a movement lawyer. That's showing up uh, and, and making sure that the people who are disenfranchised, the people who, are, uh, who are, are poor, the people who are being disproportionately impacted by, by racist laws and racist enforcement of the laws, being, uh, being able to be there to help those people, that's, that's being part of, of, uh, of movement lawyering. Attorneys that work for the ACLU, the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, Lambda Legal, RAISIS, uh, and Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid, they're paid shit. They're, they're not paid anything. They're movement lawyers. Uh, the attorneys that work in the public defender's office here in Bear County, we have a county public defender's office. We're one of the few counties in the state of Texas that has one. They make around 48 grand a year. And they have over $200,000 in student loan debt, making 48 grand a year. Uh, if, I represent, if I'm court appointed to represent you on a misdemeanor case, I will make $140 on that case, okay? I have $200,000 in student loan debt, and I will make, four, I will make $140 to represent you on your DWI or your you know, uh, family violence assault case, okay? So there's, there's a misconception that, that attorneys get out of law school and become rich people, and by and large, it's just not true. Okay, uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to make anybody like feel sorry for me. Like I, you know, I I, I made the wrong choice. <laughs> no, no, don't feel bad for me. Uh, but I, I just kind of want. I, I think lawyers, by and large, uh, are are stupid and self-important and broadly useless in terms of you know uh, helping people navigate their daily lives. Uh, but uh, but movement lawyers are out there trying to really do uh, the hard work of uh, of making people's lives uh, easier and uh, and a little more equitable. Because um, they are really, in, in a lot of ways, the sort of frontline defense. Because when there's a free speech violation, ACLU is the one that files that first lawsuit. I, I don't necessarily like ACLU a lot for, for uh, reasons of tactics, uh, but, but they're the people, they're the first people in the courthouse, and they don't get paid hardly anything to do this, okay? Uh, so sometimes lawyers are useful, uh, and I, I try my damnedest to be one of, those, uh, one of those useful lawyers. And so in addition to representing indigent defendants, and this is what I will hope you will take away from, from this, is I also offer pro bono services to anyone arrested in the course of peaceful protest, okay? Um, I don't know if you're aware of this right now, but they are currently cracking the hell down on the Inauguration Day protesters in D.C. Many of them are facing more than 10 years in prison for being involved in the protest because they have indicted them on trumped up charges of rioting, incitement to riot, and conspiracy to commit riot. One of them is a San Antonio-based journalist, actually. One of them is a San Antonio-based journalist. I, I did not know that. But yeah, so that's what's happening. Because law enforcement and the DA's office, they are not your friend. The police are never your friend, okay? Uh, the police are never there to help you. They're never there to make your life easier, 
okay? If you want to agitate to make your lives better, don't support law and order candidates. Don't support people that use law and order rhetoric. Because the single easiest thing that you could do to make the lives of black and brown people a little bit better is to agitate towards the abolishment of patrol. Limit the daily interactions of law enforcement. Limit, get law enforcement out of schools, okay? That's the, that's the way to make our lives a little bit better, is to limit our interactions with law enforcement, okay? Law enforcement does not make anyone's lives safer. They don't make anyone's lives better, okay? The DA's office, they don't make your life safer. The DA's office sends people to jail for possession of marijuana. The DA's office sends people to jail for passing hot checks, okay? They're, they're not your buddies, none of them. Our current DA thinks that vaccines cause autism, okay? These are not, and, and so let me be clear. There are good people who happen to be DAs. One of my best friends is one. There are good people who happen to be cops, but the nature of their practice, the nature of their industry is fundamentally bad and it is, an, it is antithetical to your interests and the interests of, uh, of your friends, okay? Um, so uh, so to, to kind of wrap up, um, the reason I'm doing pro bono support for protesters is because what's happening in DC uh, to the Inauguration Day protesters has what we call in law a chilling effect on uh, free speech, okay? And what that means is it's sort of criminalization and punishment geared towards silencing you, geared towards making sure you're not out in the streets agitating, geared towards making sure you're not exercising free speech in public spaces, okay? Uh, that's what a chilling effect is, because nobody wants to go out and protest when they think they're gonna get brought up on 10-year you know, rioting charges, right? And so, while I can't prevent SAPD or Bear County Sheriff from arresting you for engaging in peaceful protests, the, the best I can do is make sure that if you're charged with that offense, you don't go bankrupt paying for attorney's fees. I will, I will represent you free of charge if you're ever arrested for peaceful, uh, while engaged in peaceful protest. Black blocking is another question. I'll still represent you, but uh, we'll have to talk about some other stuff. But, but pro bono services, uh, if for anything short of black blocking, and, uh, and I'll, I'll be your guy, okay? And if not me, there are, there are dozens of other lawyers I know who are offering the same deal. Uh, they, they, just, they don't want people to be afraid of exercising their right to organize, exercising their right to, uh, to free speech in public spaces. Okay, um, so that's why I offer those, those services to y'all and anyone else you know. Um, and so that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of it for me. Uh, I've been recording this, so uh, there's, this is gonna be an episode of the podcast. Um, it saves me from having to uh, make content next weekend, which I appreciate. Uh, <laughs> so does, does anybody have any questions? Yes. Uh, this SB4 they just passed in the legislature, mm -hmm. how does that directly affect like cities? I mean, what are they mandating the cities to do or not do? Or uh... Right. So SB4, are you, I've, I've, we've done an episode on SB4, but I get SB4, so is that the papers, please, or is that the, uh, the trans discrimination? 
legislation. Okay, SB4 is papers, please. What's the transcript? HB7? HB6? Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, so, you mean how does it affect the cities? Yeah, the sanctuary cities thing, don't Greg Abbott push through it on that? Well, so, what, what Gre so the sanctuary city part of that is Greg Abbott saying, we're going to defund your city if you are a sanctuary city, okay? That's different than Trump's executive order, okay? Trump's executive order is not constitutional because they can't threaten to defund a city for failure to enforce federal laws. The Supreme Court precedent on that fact is absolutely clear. Greg Abbott is the governor of Texas, okay? So it's, it's murkier. I don't have a good answer to whether or not that's going to be constitutional. Um, some state constitutions offer greater sovereignty to their cities than, than other states. I don't know if Texas is one of those states that's not necessarily an area of law that I'm super familiar with. Um, but, so I don't know whether that's going to be constitutional or not uh, under the Texas Constitution. Um, it, it'll, it'll be interesting, but in theory, I think that he probably can tell local law enforcement you have to comply with, with ICE, where you have to comply with the federal government, you have to do. So the reason this all came up is because uh, the, the federal government passed the Brady Bill years ago, uh, and that was designed for, uh, for local law enforcement officials to do extensive background checks on anybody that wanted to buy firearms, okay? And local law enforcement was like, fuck, I ain't, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing background checks on people that want to buy guns. And so a lawsuit was brought, and the Supreme Court said, you're right, you can't force state agencies to do the work of federal agencies. In a later Supreme Court decision, what happened is they said, you can incentivize them to, co to, to comply. You can offer them additional funding to cooperate and comply, but you can't take away funding. So in the, in the Affordable Care Act case, NFIB versus Sibelius, what happened is uh, one of the components of, Sibelius, of, of, the, of the Affordable Care Act was if you don't comply with the Affordable Care Act, we are going to revoke Medicare and Medicaid funding for your state. And the Supreme Court says, no, you can't do that. You can't, you can't be punitive in your, uh, in your desire to make state agencies enforce federal regimes. So does that kind of answer your question? Well, it basically does. It's basically a funding thing that can remove from the cities. Yeah, I mean, the, the state is sort of, yeah, the state is sort of the, 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 the uh, Greg Abbott as governor is the person that can decide how finances are allocated to each of the cities under his jurisdiction, which are every city in the state of Texas. And so I think he probably could, uh, but I, I don't have a clear answer to that because the, there's not a lot of precedent on that. Normally, Texas is a uh, local control states' rights kind of place. And, uh, and now we have a governor who's saying, no, 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 we're not states' rights anymore when it means we get to arrest brown people. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're pro-big pro government. We're pro-federal government. We want to do what the feds say because it lets us put brown people in jail. So any, anything else? Yes, yes. Uh, when you were talking about immigration attorneys, I didn't hear you mention Maldef. Are, are they problematic? No, 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 Maldef's great. Okay. Maldef's, yeah, Maldef's wonderful. Uh, Maldef's great. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of interactions with Maldef. Um, most of my interactions in the immigration context have been with, with either Raices right. or with uh, the St. Mary's uh, Immigration Clinic, which also does great work. But Maldef's wonderful. Uh, Diego Bernal used yeah. to work for, for Maldef as well. And Diego's, as, uh, as our elected reps go, uh, Diego's a pretty good one. Yeah. Yes? Wasn't there, maybe there's something I should look at at one point. What, somebody was, I, I thought that SB, that 
the, 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 the speech for, uh, it was, uh, they were having, there was a part that they could punish police officers or something if they didn't enforce immigration law or something like that. Uh, like some punishment attached. And so people were saying, oh, they're just, uh, one of my friends was like, maybe we should just report police officers so that they can get put in jail. Uh, and I'll pressure them to like fight it or something. Else. Yeah. What? Uh, I don't know about that. But <laughs> there, so, the, so the question is uh, whether SB4 will allow uh, the government to uh, to engage in punitive measures against police officers who don't comply with uh, federal immigration enforcement. That's a trickier question, and I don't think that that is going to be constitutional. And the reason I don't is because, uh, and I'm not sure on this, but the reason I don't is because. Every city has their own contract. Every city has their own contract with law enforcement. Okay, um, I, I I just don't think that this law that's passed after the contract was already written can abrogate uh, their their employment rights. So unions, great, right? Love unions. The the police unions are not unions. Okay, they're not unions. They're just shields to, to keep the police hired who, who kill unarmed black people. That's all they are. Uh, and so I don't think that Greg Abbott and the Texas legislature can override employment protections in the law enforcement context. Uh, if they have protections that say I can't be fired for, for this without you know a, a, a review and all all their other employment protections that they have that every profession should have but but only get extended to the police for some reason um, oppose police unions by the way oppose the shit out of them uh, particularly SAPD one it was uh, it was super wonderful talking to you guys thanks for having me uh, I have to take off to a show in Austin. Uh, but I, I was glad I was able to come and, and check y'all out. Thank, thank y'all so much. much. Oh yeah, thank y'all. <laughs> the uh, the podcast is Supreme Leap Forward. It is on uh, is on iTunes. Rate review, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, also on SoundCloud and on uh, Twitter at Supreme Leap Pod. Uh, thanks guys. Y'all take it easy.